0: As many of you as can, yes i 'm using the iPad holder to put hard copies on. Yes, I have a hard copy bible that 's what this is. This is called old school yeah i would I want to encourage as many of you as possible go to exponential in orlando it's in Orlando, okay, for forty years. Bob and I went to a conference every year in Portland, Oregon, the rainiest city in all of the states, and for decades it was in November, the rainiest month. But it was worth it because of what we got out. This is Orlando. It's an amazing conference. We rent these big houses that have pools and hot tubs and, and big water park areas, and you're in these awesome sessions all day, tons of workshops to choose from, and evenings are free. I mean, take a vacation on I want to encourage you, you won't, you won't regret saving up for exponential. Is it possible to get a little bit more light on these notes? You might want to take a picture of the title. Can we get the title up here? Don't worry. Don't worry, I've got a scripture. You might want to take a picture of that. <laughs> Don't. We're going to talk about worry tonight. Now, how many would be just honest enough to say... At times, you know that you tend to worry more than is pleasing to God. Let's be honest, we all do. And so that my title, Don't Worry, I've Got a Scripture. Now, as I mentioned, for decades, for like 40 years, 35 years, we went out to Portland, Oregon every year for conferences. And I know many of you never met Sister Edie Iverson, Dick Iverson's, First wife, she passed away about 12 years ago with uh, cancer. But, um, but, yeah, she went by the term. Sister Edie is what everyone called her. And for decades, we went out there for conferences. And in the early years, it would just be her in a maybe a workshop with 15 of us, you know, young women from all over the states. And as it grew, you know, she's talking to large crowds. But the thing that I was surprised, she'd come into a session excited and she'd sit down and be a group of women and she'd go ladies I've got a scripture and we'd all be like deer in headlight like okay Um, she was never excited about man if I got a great topic have I ever got insight into this or that she was always excited about scripture a number of years ago were any of you in the church we brought her up for a women's retreat one time None of you, a few back in the days when we used to rough it, we went up to Fairhaven's campground, just a few of you, and the same thing, she'd get up session after session all excited, she'd say, I've got a scripture. And the thing that impressed me was just her total love for the word of God. It wasn't her opinion, it wasn't her insight, it wasn't how she could elaborate on something or tell great stories. It was the fact that God gave her scriptures. And I felt when I was preparing uh, a word on worry, that whole thing came to mind. Just get the word of God. Not my opinion, not, you know, 10 steps how to not have worry. What does the Bible say? Because it's something that all of us do. And we have to be careful as Christians that we don't negate the word of God by our unbelief. There's a verse that says, uh, I think it's in Mark, Mark 6, 5, how um, now he could do no mighty work there except that he laid hands on a few people and healed them, and he marveled because of their unbelief. I mean, think of it. People were getting healed, raised from the dead, demons cast out, and yet still people follow Jesus with unbelief. There's a scripture in Hebrews, Hebrews 4, 2 says the word which they heard did not profit them because it was not mixed with faith in those that heard it. Two people can hear the same word. I can say, I've got a scripture and read an awesome scripture. Two people can hear it. For one, it can be life changing. And for another person, it could be, wow, that was, yeah, I've read that a million times. How many know who Christine Kane is? She's my favorite preacher in the world, next to my husband, of course. And um, you need to Google her and watch any of her messages. But this week, she said something that kind of surprised me a little bit. She said, I want to be a believing believer. In other words, there's unbelieving believers. Believers, Christians, we're Christians we've accepted Christ, but we don't really believe the word of God. I mean, it's an oxymoron. Is there such a thing as an unbelieving believer? But she made that comment. I want to be a believing believer. And I said, you know what? So do I. How many want to be believing believers? So we're going to look at some scriptures tonight. I've got scriptures on the whole area of worry. I've got two really good ones. I start with Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Be anxious for nothing. Do you know what that literally means? Don't worry about anything. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. Okay? It's saying don't worry about anything anything. I was talking to a gal last Sunday, and she's had a really rough two years, really rough. And we were just talking and sharing, and normally what she went through would have been enough to ascend a lot of people, you know, over the edge. And she was sitting going, nope, I've got this, and this, and this, and God spoke this, and God spoke that. And I sat there, and I said to her, you've got the peace that passes all understanding. And she agreed. She had peace that was not natural. You can't explain it. She should have been more upset. She should have been more disappointed. She should have been more disillusioned. But she had the peace that passes all understanding. You know why? Because she had a scripture. God had given her in the midst of that season something to hold on to. And she literally had peace that wasn't her own. It passes all understanding. The end of that verse says, peace that passes all understanding will guard your heart and mind. It'll guard. It's like a guard around your mind and your heart, the word of God. And he gives you the peace that passes all understanding. We're going to come back to that verse later. Matthew six twenty-five. This is Jesus talking. Now, look how many times the word do not worry is used. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry. About your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you of not more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So, why do you worry about clothing? "'Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. "'They neither toil nor spin, and yet I say to you "'that even Solomon in all his glory "'was not arrayed like one of these. "'So if God so clothes the grass of the field, "'which today is, and tomorrow was thrown into the oven, "'will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? "'Therefore do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For all these things the Gentiles seek. Your heavenly Father knows what you need before you ask him. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will, tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. And one more, Luke twelve twenty nine. Now, this is Luke's version of the same thing that Matthew wrote down. It's really neat to compare the Gospels sometimes. You've realized these four men, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all were with Jesus, all wrote down their accounts. But sometimes there's little differences that are interesting. Luke wrote, obviously, the same thing, but he threw in one other phrase that Matthew didn't. Do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind. He threw in that extra little phrase. Don't have an anxious mind. Uh, I've got a friend who, a couple months ago on Facebook, um, all she did was put a scripture. She wrote, some of you probably saw it, she wrote, be anxious for nothing. And then she just asked a question. That's all she did. You got to be careful when you ask a question on Facebook. She asked the question, she said, Would God ask us to do something that's out of our control? In other words, she's talking about all the anxiety and there's panic and depression. I'm gonna get to all that in a minute. But she just put, be anxious for nothing. It's a command. Would God command us to do something that is out of our control? Well, did she get from Christians? You know, you don't understand you're so uncaring. I've battled anxiety, panic, you don't know what it's like she handled it really well. She wrote back, I do know what it's like. She said, I battled severe depression, anxiety for years. So she really handled it well. She kind of calmed everyone down. And then I noticed she took the whole post off. But my point is, all she was doing was putting a scripture. That's what I mean by, I want to be a believing believer. I want to be able to look at that, and even if I'm battling anxiety or depression or panic, I want to still be able to say God's Word is true. We can't line up God's Word with our experience. If we do, we can get disappointed and disillusioned. God's Word is true, no matter what our experience is. I guess it's not possible to get any more light on this, is it? It gets dark up here. I should have used a huge font. I guess I should have used the iPad, right? Now, I want to read an excerpt from Rick Warren. How many of you know who Rick Warren is? Okay, you need to know who Rick Warren is. He wrote The Purpose Driven Life, and um, it, is, it is published second only to the Bible. You need to get a copy, if you haven't, of The Purpose Driven Life. It, it just answers this, the question, what on earth are we here for? And uh, so he wrote this a number of years ago. He's, he's pastor of a huge church out in California. We actually went there one year for Exponential. That was amazing. I mean, the church grounds are so big, it has its own postal code. That's how huge it is. But anyhow, f- a fabulous church. And uh, I want to read an excerpt from Rick Warren. Now, keep in mind, Rick Warren uh, knows firsthand about the reality of depression, and mental illness. He lost a son about five or six years ago to mental illness, to depression. So he's not one of these Christians just throwing out, you know, just saying something. This has touched him deeply. It has hit his home. So when he writes on something, I tend to listen with a little more interest because he's been there. He's known firsthand what depression can do. So this is an excerpt from Rick Warren. Worry will kill your joy and cause you stress. We tend to expect the worst in life. That's a pretty bad statement, eh? We tend to expect the worst in life. That's depressing. (laughs) Anxiety disorders are the most common mental illness in the United States. According to the Anxiety and Depression Association, they affect 18.1% of the U.S. population. That's a lot, and I'm sure Canada is the same. But worry isn't just a mental issue, it's a spiritual issue. It's assuming a responsibility that God never intended us to have. It's playing God and trying to control the uncontrollable. He goes on to say worry is spiritual atheism, meaning you don't really believe that you've got a God there who cares, a Heavenly Father. Now here's some facts, he quotes. This was apparently a scientific study. Again, I don't know how they do these these studies. 40% of our worries never happen. I've heard it's much higher, but 40%. 30% of our worries concern the past. Like, really? Why do we worry about the past? It's over. There's nothing we can do. You can't change it. There's no sense stewing over it. 12% of our worries are needless worries about our health. Okay, needless. You know, you get an ache. Oh, I've got arthritis. Or you get a pain. I'm having a heart attack. Needless. 12% are needless worries about our health. 10% are insignificant or petty concerns. Worrying about stupid things. Is it going to snow tomorrow? Is it, you know, just dumb things. (laughs) And 8% of our worries are about Legitimate concerns. And we're going to talk about that 8% in a minute. This is still Rick Warren. Worry is worthless. It can't, con- it can't change the past or control the future. It only causes, it only messes you up right now. It's an incredible waste of energy. It takes a lot of energy to worry and stew and fret and overthink things. It takes a lot of energy. When we worry about things, they get bigger and bigger. Have you ever noticed that? You magnify. I'll be thinking of something. My husband will say, what are you even thinking about that for? It's just a little thing. But by the time I've worried about it, it's huge. <laughs> I've magnified it. The Bible says, do not worry about anything. Philippians 4, 6. We read this. You know, one of the interesting things, though, about that passage is when Paul wrote it in the letter to the Philippians, he wrote it when he was sitting in prison waiting to be executed. Think of it. He's sitting in prison, waiting to be executed. And he writes, don't worry about anything. Do any of you guys have problems worse than sitting in prison, waiting to be executed? Would you change what you're worried about now and say, Lord, I'll exchange it. I'd rather be sitting in prison, waiting to be executed. That's, where, that's what you call the peace that passes all understanding. He's sitting there in prison, waiting to be executed. And he's writing this encouraging letter to the church at Philippi. And in the middle of it, he says, don't worry about anything. In everything, by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds. Something tells me his heart and his mind was guarded as he sat in that prison cell. Now here's, uh, that's the end of Rick Warren's excerpt. Here's a definition of worry. The biblical word worry is from the Greek, you don't care what it is, and it means to divide into parts. Okay, it means, worry means two things. It means a distraction, and then it means a preoccupation with things causing anxiety. We'll get to that in a minute. But a distraction That's a thing that prevents you from giving your full attention to something, okay? A distraction means you're going this way in life, and there's all kinds of voices pulling you this way and that. That's what a distraction is. I'm not talking about an interruption. Life is full of interruptions, you know. Uh, A kid gets sick and you have to go to school and pick them up. That's an interruption. A distraction is you're going somewhere in life. This is what God called you to. You know God spoke something to your heart. And there's all these voices pulling you this way and pulling you that way. Why don't you do that instead? Are you sure that's what God said? Those distractions will get you totally off course. You want to make sure if God has told you to do something, don't let anyone pull you to the right or the left. My husband, in the years of building this church, he was focused almost to a fault. And all kinds of good things would cross his desk. Bring your church here. Go to this conference. Do this. Support this. Open this food bank. Do this. He'd look at them and say, wow, great idea. Right in the garbage. Because he was doing something and he was focused and he was going somewhere. And you can get distracted even by good things. These were good things crossing his desk. Not not bad things. If something crossed his desk that was online with what we were doing, that's a different story. That's why we're promoting exponential. That's why for a decade we all a bunch of us went to Bogota, Ottawa to hear Ray Comfort or whatever. If things are along with what God has said, they're good. They're along. They're not a distraction. But don't get pulled away by distractions. And you look at the number of people that start stuff. I'm just using this as an example. I haven't seen any attendance sheets. But let's just use the T-track classes, for example. How many people did God say, you need to study the Bible and sign up? And like I said, I haven't seen, for all I know, the same number that started or, fin- or finishing. And that would be awesome. But I remember for the decades that I taught church life, you'd start with this size of a group. And end up with this size of a group. And I know work comes up, health. I know there's legit things. But sometimes it's a distraction. And I just want to encourage you. If God has said to do it, don't get distracted even by a good thing. Tweet this. Don't let a good thing pull you away from the best thing. Somebody please tweet that. I know you guys have your phones out. I'm believing you're on the church app, following the notes. But in case, you can jump out and tweet it and, and jump back in. How many know who Ann Voskamp is? Okay, um, you all should. You need to Google Ann Voskamp. Ann Voskamp uh, is uh, and was... Before anyone knew her, she's a homeschooling mother of six, pig farmer's wife up in Listowall, Ontario, which is near uh, Kitchener-Waterloo area. Okay, that's who she was. Husband, pig farmer, he still is. Homeschooling, six kids, they're mostly grown now, although she just adopted a little girl from China, so now she has seven. Um, But you need to get her book called 1,000 Gifts. Anybody heard of 1,000 Gifts? Um, let me just give you the short version. When Anne was a little girl, I think she was about six, she uh, and her parents witnessed the the little four-year-old sister get run over and killed by a tractor right in their driveway. It was an accident. There was someone there running the tractor. Put it in reverse. The little four-year-old girl got crushed to death. So for the, and, and they're a Christian family. They're going to church. They're serving God. Well, Anne just watched her parents fall apart, um, You know, her dad gave up on God. Her mom ended up in a mental institution. And Anne, so Anne got married. Again, they're Christians. They're raising these six children now, Anne and her husband. They read the word every meal, three times a day. She's homeschooling. They're um, involved in their little church uh, because she lives out in the country. So a Christian family. Anne battled severe depression, anxiety, panic, agoraphobia, cutting herself, waking up every day not wanting to live. She's a Christian, okay? She's serving God. She's homeschooling. They're going to church. They're having devotions. But this is what her life was like. And one day, she got a scripture. She was reading the word, and a word jumped out at her. You'll, you can read it all in the book, Eucharisteo. And the idea was that giving thanks creates joy. And it hit her like a ton of bricks. She's going like, is it that easy, Lord? Like giving thanks is going to actually cause me to have joy. So she did a study and it's all in her book, looked up every word where someone gave thanks or Jesus gave thanks. And then a friend said to her one day, hey, you should write down a thousand things that you're thankful for. So she did. She picked up the challenge. And when this book came out, many, I know many of you, people were writing down a thousand things, little things, okay, like, you know, the smell of coffee brewing. I would challenge you, get a journal, just write the numbers one to a thousand. And if you write one, one day, great. If you write 20, one day, great. But see if you can get to a thousand. A number of people did it. What happened was she was delivered from panic, fear, depression, anxiety. She wrote a book called 1,000 Gifts. She sent it off to a publisher, Overnight, this shows you how this is resonating with people, not just women, people. Overnight, it hit the New York Times secular bestseller list. It was a bestseller for over 60 weeks. She went from this obscure pig farmer's wife up in Listowel that no one knew. She is traveling the world. If you go right now, she's doing a conference with Christine Knockel. She's always with Christine Kane, Lisa Turquist. Priscilla Shira, all of them. All the who's who in uh, Christendom for women. She's traveling the world. How did she go from the state she was in to traveling the world? She got a scripture. It just sounds too simple to be true. You've got to get her book. Now she's published a number of books and children's curriculum and whatnot. And her husband said to her, Talking about distractions, because now she 's got an invitation. we tried to get her at one point uh, she 's booked solid and she 's speaking to thousands and and tens of thousands and her husband said to her, "Every time you say yes to something you 're saying no to something else that 's true. Think about that. I know people they run around scattered their life is a, their life is a distraction because they say yes to every single thing every that every Tupperware party, every, do they still do Tupperware parties? <laughs> they say yes to everything, which if you're bored and you got the time, fine, but every time you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else. And Ann Voskamp is an amazing, amazing example of that. Think of Martha and Mary. Jesus didn't say serving is wrong. He just said to Martha, Mary has chosen the better thing. Serving is good. You have to do it. They wouldn't have had a meal. But Mary was doing something better. So don't let a good thing distract you from the best thing. You apply that one principle in every area of your life and you'll be amazed how you'll have more peace in your life. See, when you live life handling all the distractions that come along, do you know how you feel? Agitated and unfulfilled and unproductive and stressed out because your life isn't focused. You're running around handling distractions. Um, I won't even ask how many of you know who Ginny Smith is. She's in my age group, but most of you probably know her son, Judah Smith. Well, back in the days when we went to Portland every year, Ginny was on staff. They were her and Wendell were staff pastors in City Bible under Dick and Edie Iverson, and, and uh, Judah uh, and Wendy we were just little kids at the time. And again, we got to sit under uh, Ginny Smith teaching. Another awesome. Awesome woman of God. And she shared a time in her life when she was just what I described, unfulfilled, agitated, didn't have peace, wasn't really sure why. I mean, I looked at her back then and I said, Man, you've got a mate. You're a staff pastor, so not a lead pastor, not carrying the whole load. You're a staff pastor at what that time was known as the model church. People came from all over the world to Bible Temple, it was called then. And I remember thinking, you've got it made. What can you possibly be stressed about? But she was. She was distracted and unfulfilled, agitated. And she made an appointment with Sister Edie. And Sister Edie said to her, You're feeling the way you are because you're not focused. She said, You're saying yes to too many things. Write down your goals and head to your goals and don't let anything deter you to the right or the left. Just something that simple. Sometimes we gotta look and reevaluate when things aren't going the way we think they should. Now, what's the difference between a legitimate interruption and a distraction? An interruption is just like a little blip on the radar, like I said. Something comes up during the course of the day, you gotta tend to it, but it doesn't take your focus. It doesn't take you off this way. Think of your life as you're going down a river. The end is in mind, and there's all these voices calling you this way. I heard something years ago that I never forgot. Just because someone's the loudest voice in the room doesn't mean they're right. Just because there's a loud voice telling you to do this, do that, go here, quit that, don't do that, doesn't mean it's right. That's why when you know you've heard from God, it's pretty hard for someone to pull you to the right or the left. Like Psalm 1, it says you're you're like a tree planted by rivers of water. Ever tried to uproot a great big tree? Pretty hard. It's pretty difficult. And Psalm 1, you need to memorize Psalm 1 because it talks about the blessing of being upright and the righteous and being planted compared to the ungodly. It's an awesome, awesome psalm. The second definition of worry was a preoccupation with things causing anxiety okay now these are the legit things in the survey the 12 percent these are the legit things okay a marriage falling apart is legit a legit thing to worry about to be anxious about a failing business that's legit a horrible health diagnosis that's legit children acting up that's legit parents acting up (laughs) That happens, trust me, that happens sometimes. Parents act up, not just kids. Those things are legit. That's the 12%. And this is the one that trips us up. This is the one that we tend to um, overthink and put too much time and effort into. And I'm going to do that. That'll solve my problem. I'm going to do this. I'll tell you another principle I'll throw in. Never make a rushed decision about something major. Never. I can almost guarantee you it'll be a mistake. We had decades ago we had this couple come to a Wednesday night prayer meeting and um, decades ago, so if you don't know them, don't try to figure out who they were. People always say, hmm is it? you don't know them. And uh, they came into Wednesday night prayer. And this church is real small in the little building. And they said, can you guys pray for us? We just got a call before we walked out the door. Someone wants to buy our house. And we went, oh, wow. I didn't even know you were moving. Your house was listed. They said, it's not. But it's um, zoned something different than residential. And this company wants to come and buy it. And so we said, okay, all right, no problem. We'll pray about that. And they said, there's one problem. We have to let them know our answer in two hours. Can you imagine driving home? And we didn't, you know, we prayed for him. Driving home, my husband said to me, that answer is no. You do something major in a rush, nine times out of ten, it's a mistake. How many of you have ever had the misfortune of sitting through those timeshare spiels? (laughs) Be honest. Who has sat through one? So... (laughs) So when, we were, when the kids were young, we're in Florida, we're in Daytona Beach, money's tight, and there's a sign up, you know, come and listen to the one hour, yeah, right, it's never an hour, come and listen to this one hour timeshare speech, and we'll give you $40. Well, this is decades ago, that would be like $200. We said, oh, $40, let's do it, let's just go suffer through an hour, get the $40, and go out for a nice meal, so we did. It was the most torturous three hours. And I'm sitting there thinking, like, who in the right mind would buy something spur of the moment anyhow? But that's how they, that's how they work. It's the pressure of, of right now. So this salesman, he wasn't a very good salesman. He needed to take a course. When, when it's done and it's obvious we're not buying, we aren't. You know, we just said, no, we don't make decisions like this. We're not he called over, the, you know they always call over the manager, the big gun, and he usually comes in and tries to close. He comes over, how's it going over here? And now this is what the guy said. What would you do if you were sitting there, and this is what the salesman said. He went, well, they're typical Canadians. They can't make a decision. What would you do? <laughs> he said... For the tomorrow morning crowd, I'm not going to repeat it because Craig's here and he's American. Uh, <laughs> I don't believe it, just <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, sitting there, think does he honestly think by insulting us that we're going to go, oh, oh, well, in that case, all right, in that case, we'll buy it. Can you imagine? But I'm thinking, look at how many people make rushed decisions So do not, when you're in a a time of life that's stressful, when there's these legit, the legit 12%, that's when you need to be calm, cool, and collected. Now, there's a difference between someone who's a worrier and someone who carefully counts the cost, okay? Some people. My husband is very count the cost. Every major decision, whether it was the church, our family, our home, our finances, every major decision. What could go wrong? What are the pros? What are the cons? He counted the cost. Every everything to do with the church. What if we go to that service? What's the negative? You know. And sometimes people like that are looked at as you know. Oh, you're you know, you're too negative. Just go for it. But no, there's something to be said about being the kind of person who thinks things through. That's not worry, okay? That's, well, Jesus said, count the cost. Before you build, you count the cost. You sit and you write everything down and you figure out. So, so don't look at someone who's um, a thinker and who lays things out. Don't look at them as a worrier. That's not worry. In fact, that's very, very, very wise, A worrier is this unnecessary, well, the definition was preoccupation with things causing anxiety or stress, a preoccupation with it. And Jesus said, which of you by worrying can add a single cubit or can change anything or can change another person? Which of you by worrying, think of it, by worrying, are you going to change another person No, not not a chance. So what's the opposite of worry? What's the opposite? If I'm not supposed to worry, what am I supposed to do? Trust. Now, here's the quote by Francis Chan. This is Francis Chan, okay? Don't get mad at me, get mad at Francis Chan. Worry implies that we don't quite trust God, that he's big enough, powerful enough, or loving enough to take care of what's happening in our lives. Why don't we trust God? Why don't we believe at times he's big enough, loving enough, or caring enough to look after what's happening in our lives? A lot of times it's because people have let us down. Okay, if I asked, and I won't, how many here have suffered sometime in the past Two thing, one of two things, abandonment or rejection. Every hand in the place would go up. We have all had rejection. It might be back you know on the playground in school, someone making fun of you, being excluded, you know, not being friends or coworkers, excluding you abandonment, a a relationship breaking up or a marriage breaking up. When we do sozo, the two things that come up, well, besides fear, the two things that come up all the time that affect us to this day are abandonment and rejection. And we can't let that from the past affect what's happening now and the future. And I want to encourage you, if you're a member, you have to be an actual member, take in church life and you've got something that's bothering you from the past or you know there's just something you can't overcome, whether it's abandonment, rejection, fear. I would encourage you, speak to your C-group leader and put your name in for Sozo. Because we walk through some of those things. When I was sozo I remember thinking, and this was... I don't know, maybe seven or eight years ago, I remember thinking, well, I know what's going to come up. I know what my, my issue is, the fact that I was, my father was an alcoholic, and children of alcoholics tend to try to control everything, and I, I do try to control. You ask my husband, ask my husband, what's the biggest thing with Joanne? He'll say she tries to control everything. Um, so I remember going through souls and going, I know this is what's going to come up, but it, it wasn't. It was something that had happened to me 35 years earlier that I'd forgotten about and the hurt was so deep that it was affecting the way I was living and relating to certain people and even in my marriage to that day because of that hurt from 35 years earlier. So I want to encourage you, if you're a member and you've never had Sozo, I would encourage you that the team is tactful, they're discreet, not a word is said, and there is nothing, nothing we haven't heard. Um, And there's some openings probably, I know they're pretty busy in January, there's probably some openings in February and March. But the point is, get your name in there, you won't regret it. Talk to someone who's had a sozo and ask them how their experience was. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Here's a scripture. I've got a scripture. In fact, it's my life scripture. I've got it engraved on my necklace. When I accepted Christ when I was 17, I had a revelation of this. This verse jumped off the page. I tried to get it printed on a t-shirt at one point. (laughs) That's real subtle, isn't it? And therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away, all things become new. Everything has become new. It doesn't matter what happened in the past, all things have become new. You've got to get away you can't get Anne Voskamp's word about Eucharisteo or my word, Second Corinthians five seventeen. You need to get a word for yourself from God. And when you do, it'll be life-changing, I promise you. So I'm going to give you just a few practical steps then to when you are being plagued by things, let's, you know, let's keep it real. We all worry about things. We all have things in our life, many of them legit, that are real concerns. So how do we handle them? Number one, fight to maintain your freedom. Fight. You've got to Fight. You can't just accept it. The enemy might be messing around with your mind. You've got to fight. There's a uh, a gal in our church, a great gal, wonderful woman of God, loves God, served God, involved, raising her family in the house of God, a great gal. And she said to me, we've talked maybe over the last year a few times about, uh, about it, but all of a sudden, when she drives on the highway... She's having panic attacks. All of a sudden, never had them. And all of a sudden, she can't drive on the highway without being overcome by fear and panic. And the amazing thing is, she's fighting it. She probably told me this over a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago, and I was talking to her just a few Sundays ago. We were just talking about something and going here and there, and just as an aside, she threw in, she had to make a trip somewhere, and she went, oh, by the way, I'm going on the highway, I'm not giving in to this thing, because it only hits her when she goes on the highway, but she's fighting it. She's, you know how many people would say, okay, can't drive on the highway anymore? And then what? Then I can't do this. Then I, you, know, you know what fear is like. You give it a little bit of room, and it comes in like a flood. You open that door. And uh, I was talking to her, and I said, well, what, what other things are you doing? And she goes, Joanne, she says, I've got two incredible scriptures. See, she's got scriptures. Um, I asked her what they were. She texted them to me. First one is Philippians 4, 6. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. She said, just giving thanks calms down the anxiety. And then the second one God gave her was Deuteronomy 31.6. He's gone ahead and will not abandon me. She's got these verses on cue cards in her car on the dashboard. She's fighting with the word of God. How did Jesus fight when the enemy attacked him? How did he fight back? with the Word of God, with Scripture. Fight these things that are coming at you with Scripture. I admire that when I see, I know she's going to overcome this. In fact, she's improving. But I know she's going to have complete victory because she's standing on the Word. She's trusting in God. She's fighting. So point number one, fight. Second, don't let the past steal your future. Please tweet that, somebody. <laughs> don't let the past steal your future. How many know who Christine Kane is? Okay, now just give you a quick story. She just found out, I think later on in life as an adult, she found out that she was adopted and her birth certificate has no name. So all of a sudden she's going on living life with her Greek parents, assuming she's Greek, and finds out that she's adopted, that her birth mother didn't even name her. And in her, when she was young, she was sexually abused for 12 years. Now, she speaks around the world. She's at of Hillsongs. She um, started the A21 campaign that rescues women out of human trafficking. I mean, just Google her. Go on YouTube and listen to any of her messages. You will be blessed. But she said something recently, about a year ago, about these, this hashtag that women all over the world were going on Facebook and Twitter with this certain hashtag. And if you don't know what it is, great. But I remember looking at all this every day, hashtag over and over again. And Christine said, all these women are labeling themselves with this certain title. And she could. She was abused for 12 years. She could label herself. She goes, I am not. She goes, I refuse to put that label on myself She said, I'm a new creation. The old things have passed away. I remember when all that was going on. And I thought, you know what? I can use that hashtag now that I remember back to to incidents. And then I thought, no, no, that's over and done. That's not me. I barely, I had to think to even remember it. Because old things have passed away and all things have become new She's not going around for her whole life a victim. My mother didn't even name me. I don't even know my name. I've had 12 years of horrible, horrible abuse. God's using her to change the lives of many. And another one I've got to mention, and many of you know, Stephanie Fast. We've had her here twice. We need to have her here again. Uh, you talk about not knowing your mother's name, your your birthday. She doesn't know her birthday. She doesn't know how old she is. She was found. uh, She's Korean. She was found in a garbage dump. They think she would have been four or five years old. They don't know. Uh, By a World Vision nurse. All Stephanie remembers is being put on a train probably by her parents, she doesn't know, and whether something went horribly wrong and someone was supposed to pick her up at the other end and they didn't show, obviously she doesn't know. She just remembers being a little girl on a train, getting off at the end of the line, sitting for what seemed like days and then just living on the streets the next number of years. Horrible, horrible abuse of every kind and living out of a garbage dump and was skinny was probably at death's door, when this World Vision nurse found her, took her to an orphanage. A couple from the States, pastors were in this orphanage. Stephanie caught their eye. They adopted her. She was raised in the States as a pastor's kid. And as she said, we've had her here twice, and she's just amazing. She says, I speak in the crack house and in the White House. And she's been to everything in between. And now, if anybody could say, woe is me. My start in life was, you talk about abandonment and rejection. It doesn't get much worse than that. She refuses to label herself with something from the past. You do not want the past to steal your future, no matter how horrible it was. And then the third one, fill your mind with the right things. Okay, the right things. You may not want to start the morning with, The news, if it's going to depress you for the whole day. Fill your mind with the right things. Make sure you have time with God in the morning where it's quiet, where you hear his voice, where you listen. It's better to have one verse jump out at you and be life-changing than to say, I read 30 chapters today. Got nothing out of it, but I'm racing through the word of God. Because the thing is, it's not just another book. That's why people getting a scripture, it's life-changing. If it was just another book, you would just read it and say, I'm going to get some good information. But it's life-changing. The Word of God has got the answer for everything we struggle with in life. I'm amazed how often we assume We want 10 steps to everything, don't we? We just want a plan because that's how we are. 10 steps to overcome lust and not to lust, and not to go on the wrong thing on your device. Ten steps. How many have read books like that? Do you know what the Bible says? It says, walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. There, there's the Scripture. Too simple for us to grasp. Walk in the Spirit. Not all the things you shouldn't do, and I've got nothing against... Boundaries and controls on computer, all that stuff is great. Accountability with someone, that's great. But if you're doing all that and not walking in the Spirit, it's all a waste of time. Walk, Galatians 5, 16, or is it 19? Galatians 5, yeah, is it 16? Do, you have, do we have it up there? Walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill. The lust of the flesh. doesn't say you might not. doesn't say the odds will be tipped in your favor a little more. There's a better chance you won't fulfill the lust. Walk in the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit will, honestly, it'll help every area of your life. You got, I know I'm picking on worry this weekend, but maybe it's something different for you. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's, you know, you have these fits of rage that... Walk in the Spirit. Maybe it's jealousy. Maybe it's bitterness. Maybe it's hatred. Maybe it's unforgiveness. Walk in the Spirit. Get a scripture. Get with God and say, God, you have a word for me that will be life-changing. You know what we do sometimes in Soza? We hand things over to God and we get him to replace it. And I mean, literally, we sit there and we lift our hand and we hand We say, Jesus, I hand you this, let's say it's unforgiveness. And then we say, what do you give me in exchange? And we listen to his voice. Because it's not all about not doing this and cutting out all this. It's what are we doing? I've got a young um, married women's mentoring group that I'm meeting with now. Five awesome young women. And we're talking about all the different areas in your life But no matter what area we look at, whether it's physical or or relational or financial, whatever area we look at, the bottom line to have a successful marriage, you know what the bottom line, you know what two words are? To have a fantastic marriage, two words? Be spiritual. If you are spiritual... You won't crave something and go into debt and have out-of-control spending or lie or criticize or be angry without a cause or be jealous or, you know, all the things, all the things that we want to stay away from. Be spiritual. To me, that's the number one marriage advice. If couples would do that, if husband and wife would both do that, I guarantee you we'd have the best marriages in the world. They'd be quite an example to everyone else. I want to pray for some of you um, this evening, if you're going through something where one of the legit worries that I mentioned, okay, so we're not just saying worry, but you are legitimately going through, um, you know, a bad health issue or financial debt that's weighing you down or um, relationship issues. Or stress at work that's real, not imagined. If you're going through something that is, in your opinion, legit. Can I see your hand tonight? Awesome. Would you guys be so brave as to come forward? Can we get someone on the keyboards? And I would like those of you, let's all stand. Those of you that are C-group leaders or on the the prayer ministry team. We're going to come and we are going to believe God with you guys for a real breakthrough. We're going to believe God that as you hand this thing over to him, that he's going to come through for you, that he's going to make a way where there is no way, that he's going to give you a word that will totally change and totally transform what you're going through. Amen. So I would encourage you, let's just lift our hands. And those of you in the congregation, stretch out your hands and please lift up your voices and pray in faith. Can we have the prayer ministry team and C group leaders come and we're going to lay hands on you and we're going to believe God for a miracle in your life tonight.